Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for his sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's program. We had a great conversation last week about apologetics, and some are thinking, well, Mike, I know that we're in a discipleship series. What does that have to do with apologetics? And we talked last week about being able to articulate our faith, and in some cases even defend our faith, is an important aspect of someone who demonstrates that they understand their faith, the core tenets, the doctrines, and being able to share that with others. Last week, we discussed classical apologetics, otherwise known as the three-step method, where you first establish truth and then existence of God and then the reliability of the Bible, which opens the door to then have evangelistic conversations. Some groups enjoy these, some do not. I personally use them as a chance to build bridges between people who are highly skeptical. These are the type of apologetics that you use if someone is absolutely burnt. They think that anything beyond the naturalistic worldview is foolish and worthy of ridicule. And it gives talking points in their vernacular and in their language to be able to set up a constructive conversation about matters of reality. They don't always go that way, but if you have the right temperament and the right patience and the right person, then this can lead to very engaging and amazing conversations. Many people talk about the different aspects of the classical method, which include the cosmological argument, which means the beginning has a beginner, the teleological argument, which the design has a designer, and then the moral argument, most famously argued by C.S. Lewis about every moral law has a moral lawgiver. And those are great ways of bringing people into uh, spiritual conversations. The idea is to not win an argument. The idea is to not necessarily get from all the way to point A to point B in one conversation. These are talking points that help people ponder something beyond this moment, this time, and this worldview, to ponder the eternal and the spiritual realm that many Americans and those outside our country don't really have time to do. That was a great conversation. I encourage you to go back and look at that. And in some cases, we actually answered objections to that method because some do feel that God does not require an explanation. And frankly, I'm okay with that. Today's method is going to sound a little bit more like that. Today, we're going to be dipping into the presuppositionalist model, which is simply a different starting point for apologetic method than the classical method, where the classical method is designed to meet someone literally on their turf and in their vernacular. The presuppositional model, it's more scriptural and doctrinal apologetics, but I'm going to show you today how you can basically transition seamlessly from the moral argument for God into presuppositional apologetics and how some of the purveyors of that method have effectively done so. Before we move into presuppositional apologetics, let me just do a setup with C.S. Lewis. His mere Christianity lectures that became the best-selling book were actually radio addresses that happened during World War II. England at that time looked similar to postmodern America. People didn't know why they went to church. People didn't understand what the Bible had to do with them. And they had found themselves in a kind of a cultural Christian fog or living a post-Christian existence. And when C.S. Lewis got on the radio amid the bombings, amid the uncertainty of life, and in a tone of the everyman, 
C.S. Lewis didn't go onto that radio address as a pastor or a denominational leader. He came on there as what he was, a college philosophy professor who had a deep abiding faith and love for the Bible and for God's word. And he proceeded to get on to that radio address and remind Britons why there is a God and why they should go to church and why truth in the Bible is something that was of value. And in so doing, he has a few quotes. He says, the real job of every moral teacher is to keep bringing us back time after time to the old simple principles, which we were all so anxious not to see, like bringing a horse back to the fence it has refused to jump or bringing a child back to a lesson that it wants to shirk. He also adds, I'm not concerned at present with blame. I'm trying to find out truth. When he was doing those addresses, those were the times the moral argument of God was made so effectively in such ways that he became a voice of a generation. And of course, as many of us know who've read Narnia, he became an influencer of not just his generation, but the following generations by putting Christian principles out there in an accessible manner that people could understand. Even his quote, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God is beautiful in its conciseness, but accessible to the masses and easily understood. And in so doing, he brings people to ponder faith, to ponder virtue and goodness and the kinds of things that come from living a scriptural life. Now, my friends, as we have moved forward in these conversations, there have been times that now the church finds itself on its heels, being called morally inferior. And that's when I think that there's a beautiful segue into the presuppositional apologetics of people such as Greg Bonson, of Cornelius Van Til, and other great thinkers. Keeping in mind, purists are going to take me to task for this because you usually prefer one method to the other. But one of my favorite authors and preachers, uh, Timothy Keller, uh, was called the next C.S. Lewis, though he used the presuppositional model. He was a pulpit apologist. He is someone who moved to New York City into a completely pluralistic postmodern context and basically set out to preach in such a manner that would draw in to the hearts of New Yorkers to hear the gospel and to embrace faith. He was able to ask the right questions and lead people where they needed to go in a way that was not coercive. Tim Keller had bestseller after bestseller on the New York Times list basically doing presuppositional apologetics at a time that Richard Dawkins and Christopher Kitchens and other new atheists were having bestsellers basically mocking God. And he entered into that public arena in such a way that was respectful, but also very well prepared. And what I like about his approach is he just put the doctrinal apologetics out there in such a way that was accessible to the masses respectful in tone. There was some meat there. It picks up where the classical model leaves off. In fact, he, along with R.C. Sproul in the Presbyterian tradition, credit C.S. Lewis and find the classical model to be of value. But as he then moves forward, then we're going to talk a little bit about perhaps the Bonson and the Cornelius Ventil methods of understanding that worldview is an important aspect of apologetics. The five solos, chief of them in this context being sola scriptura, of being able to defend and or explain things via the Bible, it's an incredibly powerful method. 
in our wheelhouses, just understanding what different people are doing so we don't get confused or antagonistic toward one another can be very helpful in advancing the kingdom. Again, this is a competing viewpoint, but Greg Bonson says, if the apologist treats the starting point of knowledge as something other than reference for God, then the unconditional submission to the unsurpassed greatness of God's wisdom at the end of his argumentation does not really make sense. I appreciate his point of view, but I believe that you can use the classical model without betraying your cause or your starting position. I believe that you can accommodate people's questions and lead them there. But having said that, where Bonson and Van Til can be very powerful is if you can use the classical model to get them to their point of view, it's amazing because, again, there's great wisdom in here. I mean, they focus on Proverbs 1-7 that says, the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Colossians 2-3 reminds us that in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Psalm 36.9 says, we find knowledge in God's light. Likewise, Psalm 18.28 tells us that God is the one who illuminates our darkness. And so there's a feeling here of without the gospel, without a Christian worldview, you're pretty much lost. This view sees that sin noetically damages human beings, that until they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, they are incapable of making right choices. There's, again, a difference of opinion between classical and presuppositional. Both of them have their strengths. They both have their differences. What both of them agree to Once you get to the fidelity of the Bible, that of course, the Christian worldview in Scripture should inform every aspect of our life, our ethics, our conduct, and our worship. So therefore, it's important that we see these almost as complementary, even though they don't always seem that way. As we're wrapping up today, I want to make sure that I'm clear on the purpose of apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should be able to give an account for the hope that is within us. This does not mean that these are tricks that we use to win conversations and arguments. This is not a means of elevating ourselves because of our superior intellect or debating abilities or our politics. This is a means of building bridges to belief for skeptics and non-theists because these are resources to us that help us to be comprehensible and effective in our communication, but also sometimes encouraging ourselves. This world gets difficult. It gets to be a place that can be scary and off-putting. And when we are on point, whether we're looking at the fact that God created an orderly universe, that this is not some pipe dream, this is not mythology or fairy tales, this is a beautiful world that God has created for us, and the natures speak to that. The heavens declare the glories of God, literally. But also in the Bible, that the moral argument for God, the scriptures are for our benefit. They are for his glory and for his kingdom. And it is important for us to not shy away from that and to make sure that we're not only reassuring our own faith in this pluralistic and confusing culture, but also being the light of hope for those who need it, who are struggling. Some books just real fast in the passing, if you like the classical model, there's R.C. Sproul, Classical Apologetics, Norman Geisler's resources. You can even check out some of his protégés, such as Frank Turek and those other contemporaries. Again, in the presuppositional camp, you have Cornelius Van Til, Greg Bonson, Gordon Haddon Clark, 
And then there's other contemporaries that evolved from there. You would have even Carl F. H. Henry or Francis Schaeffer, wonderful apologists of the late 20th century that were great, who then again would begat our current crop that includes Keller. The most important thing about apologetics as a resource and as a ministry is one that your calling needs to be in line with this. If you can speak the truth in love, if you can balance the grace and truth in your communications, if you can handle the subject matter well and do right by doctrine and church history, you can be a powerful voice. And also, it is a great means of studying to help you sharpen yourself in your discipleship process. I want to clear up one misconception about apologetics before we go. What's interesting to me is I have actually found a great use for this in pastoral care and chaplaincy. I find myself leaning on these tools when I'm helping people who are going through the hardest times in their life. Because, friend, that's when people have questions. That's when they have doubt. And these are moments that we don't just give pat answers, but we can give informed answers to questions when they arise. I want to remind people that on occasion, you might have to win an argument. You might have to fend off an attack or deal with a bully. But most of the time I've used apologetics has been to help people in their unbelief and their doubt. To not just reach out to people who are not of faith to give them a bridge to faith, but also to encourage those who've been raised in church, but maybe are experiencing doubt. I highly recommend you equip yourself and avail yourself of this type of training. To not just help others, but maybe to answer your own doubt as well. Friend, whether you are reassuring your family, teaching at your church, being a good coworker or member of your community, or you feel like you have a platform and a voice to give hope to others, these are great resources, and I hope that you find them helpful. For more information, you can also contact me through my blog. Friends, thank you for a wonderful conversation on this, and I'll see you on our next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.